0: I love that song. I love this band. I love this church. I'm all about love today. True love. (laughs) Love, yeah, there you go. We were saying that this morning. Listen, last week I, uh, I did a lesson on will you be the vessel. And we talked a lot about what it means to be a vessel. And we talked about the oil. And we talked about... The Holy Spirit and a lot of good things. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, it's online. Go listen to it. But uh, hopefully you took some of what we talked about last week and you applied it. Now this week, I want to just expand on that a little bit and talk about one of the key ingredients that it takes for us to be that vessel. One of the things that is an intricate part of us being disciples, you know, something interesting to think about is that all of us have been told at some point in our life that we, what we need to do to get from where we are to where we need to be. And somebody in this world knows what we need to do to get us from where we are to where we need to be, whether it's in our relationship with God, our marriage, with our kids, and our career, your health, your habits, your addictions, and so on and so on. Sometimes that somebody is because they have just seen much more in their years over their years or so or, or maybe it's because they uh, they they just have been in that situation and have figured it out and then want to help you to get through that situation and so these are kind of the key ingredients and either way either way whatever way it is, those two things right there are key ingredients to what we're going to talk about here this morning. What's even crazier when you think about this is 99, maybe 99% of the time, whoever it is who knows what you need to do, you know them. You have a relationship with them. Uh, either a close tie or maybe just a happenstance relationship. Either way, you know them at work, at church, wherever it might be. But what happens In these situations sometimes, maybe not all the time, but sometimes, is we push back on that input. We push back on that help. We push back on somebody trying to talk to us or encourage us in such a way as to grow. And we resist. We resist what the Spirit sometimes is trying to do, if not all the time, is trying to do to help us. And the bummer part about this is that at the end of the day, we don't move forward and we ultimately undermine our growth when it comes to our relationship with God. If you haven't figured it out by now, the topic that I'm going to be talking about this morning obviously is discipling. The title of this lesson is, To Be a Disciple Means Discipling. Let me say that again. To be a disciple means discipling, either getting it. Or giving it. And, and for those who are maybe new here, let me just expand on that just for one second. When we talk about discipling, in our lives, every day we deal with discipling. If you're at work, and it's a new job, and you're getting training, that's discipling in your job. If you're an athlete, and you're getting coached, you're getting discipling. And boy, my coaches, some of them, my college coach in baseball, he could disciple with the best of them. Maybe not in the kindest way, but boy, he could throw down. If it's something you're trying to do, maybe it's gain, lo- gain weight. No, I'm not. Nobody's. Trying, <laughs> we're not trying to gain weight here, are we? We're, if you're trying to lose weight, or if you're just trying to get—that's what it was. Get your swell on. That's what I was trying to say. You know, you go to a gym, you get help, you get discipling. But in this case, we're talking about probably the most important part, if not the most important part of our lives that really surrounds and envelops our life, and that is discipling through Christ in Christ toward God. And so that's what the challenge is here this morning. And so today, I want to use two stories from the Old Testament. The first one is out of 1 Kings, and it talks about a couple of bohams that we're going to chat about here, Jer and Re. Um, And it's not Jerry. I didn't even think about that until I just said it. That was terrible. You didn't get it. Never mind. We'll move on from that. Okay. And of course, we're going to use a little stuff out of Ruth because we've been reading about Ruth. And then I'm going to let the Apostle Paul wrap it all up at the end for us. And if you're an old timer, what I hope happens here is that this reminds us of what is so important to God and needs to continue to be to us. If you're a new timer here... Continue to show us what's important to God and needs to be to us. You see the theme here? And if you're just hanging out with us us today, that this will show you what is important to God, and quite honestly, what's important to us here. Ooh, that's a little silent right there. That should about cover everyone. But let's turn over to 1 Kings chapter 12, and let's jump in to our first story. And I want to give you a little historical context here. You see, God established Israel, and there's a whole lot of stuff that goes into that establishment that we don't have time to talk about. Suffice to say, it's some really amazing, deep, theological, cool stuff, but one of the things he did was he established it as a theocracy, and a theocracy in this case was that there would be no king, that God would be Israel, the Israelite nation's king, and so time went on, and, and what would happen was this nation would be a nation of laws officiated by judges, and as you see Throughout some of the books of the Bible, you see these judges, but what ultimately happened as time went by, the Israelites were bebopping along, doing their thing, and they saw other nations having kings, and so what did they do? They said, we want a king. It's kind of like, you got an iPhone, I want an iPhone. You know, it's that old adage, you got what I want, I want what you got, and what have you. So the Israelites wanted a king, and so God said, fine, enough's enough. So he sent Samuel, Samuel went and found Saul, Saul became a king, king for a little while, well, about 40 years, and then David followed in his footsteps, then Solomon comes right after him, and now we kind of pick the story up right about the time Solomon is at the end of his life, and we jump in at a time when the next king after Solomon is going to be a guy by the name of Rehoboam, and so the first part of this lesson takes place in the transition of this power between Solomon and Rehoboam and what happens in that time. And the story is a great illustration. It's a great example for us when we talk about discipling, when we talk about what it means to do and be and be enveloped by that word, discipling, or being discipled. And in the story, there is another Boam, of course. And it's not just Rehoboam, but we have Jeroboam and Jeroboam is this guy who's actually a pretty amazing guy in himself See Solomon loved to build stuff and he was overzealous when it came to building all this stuff in his time And what he did was he enlisted, well he enlisted, he pulled in He he ordered those who couldn't do for themselves to come and build as much as they possibly could for him in other words, he had slaves in that day. And he had upwards of 150 to 200,000 slaves. And so Jeroboam was the guy in charge of all this. He was the administrator. He was the leader over these guys. So imagine for a second, I mean, Todd leads the church. It's 1,200 people, a little less than 1,200. That pales in comparison to the amount of people Jeroboam led. Todd, you're not any less than Jeroboam, trust me. But Jeroboam was a pretty amazing guy in and of himself to be able to head this situation up. And so here he's got 150, 200,000 people, and Solomon has him in charge of all this stuff, and time goes by, and as time goes by, this rumor gets out, leaks out that instead of Rehoboam becoming king, people want Jeroboam to become king. Well, that's not a good thing, because Solomon is still around, and Jeroboam's thinking to himself, "Well, the king. Solomon is going to do something about that because he wants his son to become king. So Jeroboam skips town, heads to Egypt, and does his thing and hangs out for as long as he can. In that time period, Solomon dies. And so that's where we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 1. If you turn there, please, please, please. Solomon has died. We pick it up in verse 1 where it says, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, heard it of it, for he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, the Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, and see what happened here is the Israelites go to Shechem, and they have Rehoboam there, and they're full on ready to give Rehoboam their endorsement of saying, listen, we want you as our king, we're fine with this, we're great with you being our king. But they said, hey, Jeroboam, why don't you come and join us? So Jeroboam jumps in the scene, comes back from Egypt. He's there with them. And they all, if you picture this for a minute, they all walk up, in a sense, walk up to Rehoboam. And they've got this group of guys who walks up even past that and says, listen, Rehoboam, we've got a question we want to ask you. We've got a suggestion. We've got a desire that we'd like to throw your way. We're behind you, but hear what we're about to say. And he says in verse 4, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and this heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, go away for three days. And then come again to me. So the people went away. Well, let me explain that just for a second. You see, they come to him, and they ask him for this thing that they need him to do. And he says to them, go away. So there's two things that Rehoboam does right here. First, he says, well, why don't you go away for just a few minutes, three days actually, while I think about it. Let me think on this. But what's even more cool is after that, he says, and we're going to see this in just a second, he says, and let me get some input on this as well. So he says, go away while I think about it. Let me get some input. Go away while I think about it and let me get some input. So at this point, Rehoboam's heading down the right road. And in verse 6, we pick it up, then King Rehoboam to counsel with the old men, who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them, and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. Wow. What a great answer these guys give them. And quite frankly, if I'm in this situation and I want to be somewhere where I'm not at at that moment, and this is the advice that I get, I'm thinking to myself, this is great because I'm here. This is where I'm stuck at. I haven't grown. Someone's telling me, someone's giving me input to get over here, and this is where Rehoboam wanted to be. And so he listens to this, and he hears what they have to say. And really, all this is just basic stuff. If you serve, if you serve as a king. but If you've heard this story, if you've read this story before, then you know the answer in verse 8 that Rehoboam gives. Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men. He rejected it. And here's why. Here's why, and, and, and men, I'm just, I'm just going to use you as an example here for a second. Women, I'm absolutely sure you do this, but I'm not a woman, so I don't want to get in trouble here. Men, I am one of you, so we're good to go. We're, we're good with this. But men, men, and I know this is true of ladies, but men, some of us guys, we struggle with this, don't we? We struggle with this. This advice was exactly what he needed to hear But it was not what he wanted to do. Let me say that again. This advice was exactly what he needed to hear, but it wasn't what he wanted to do. And that's it right there. That's really what it is. Why? Because how many of you do that in this room right here? Raise your hands high. Raise them high. Come on. I know it's more than that. Some of you are lying right now. Amen. Yeah, that was real, right? Yeah, there you go. How many of you have heard this? You've heard something that you needed to hear, and then you just did what you wanted to do. How many times have I done that? Even worse, like I said a second ago, is this is exactly where Rehoboam wanted to be. He wanted to be the king. And he wanted to be the king of all Israel. And so these guys give him sound input. They give him sound advice. But Rehoboam says, no, that's not what I want to do. You know, this is a statement. Direction, not intention, determines destination. Direction, not intention, determines Destination. In other words, I can have all the greatest intentions in the world, but the direction that I'm heading, because it's my direction, it's what I want to do, it's how I want to live, this is all about me, it's about Alan, this is Alan's life, this is my story, not his story. And so the direction I'm going, albeit I can say, well, I really, I really want to follow God. I, I want to worship God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength but direction, not intention, determines destination. Rehoboam, he he didn't care. He didn't care what was going on. He just wanted to do what he wanted to do, and of course he did. He wanted to be king, and he's going to be king, and kings Don't take advice, do they? Kings give advice. They give input. They tell people what to do. He's going to do what he wants to do, and he's going to do it when he wants to do it. But let me ask you this, brothers and sisters. Who died and made you king? How many times have we heard that before? In jest. Who died and made you king? The truth be told who died and made us king, that we think we've got what it takes to get through this life on our own. Some of you in here are like, listen, I, I, I don't reject advice people give me. Well, of course you don't, because you don't get it. You can't reject what you don't get. I'm sorry if this hurts your feelings. No, I'm not. Amen. On, you know, we push back from getting the help we need. You know, the other day I was, was talking to a brother, uh, Edwin Bonneau, and, you know, Edwin and Stacy have adopted, and one of the things uh, when they went through the adoption process, um, they, they, they have some stipulations for if you're going to be a foster parent. And in being a foster parent, you it's, it's interesting to think that if you have someone in your home within a month's period of time, more than once, they have to go through a, a rigorous screening. So in Lauren and I's life, be, it would be tough for us to be foster parents simply because of that right there. We'd have to have all of you screened at one time or another, basically. But but the other interesting thing was is that in this process, they were very very misunderstanding, and they didn't get the fact that in in Edwin and Stacy's life, they were getting a lot of help in their marriage, and, and Edwin was very open with this. He said, look, one of the things we do is we get a lot of help in our marriage, and and the people that were going through the process with them were looking at that like, Well, is there something really wrong with your marriage? They're thinking in their minds, there's got to be something wrong with your marriage that you need all this help in your marriage, that you're spending time with this other couple getting help in your marriage. And the crazy thing is, is the world just doesn't understand that Edwin and Stacy weren't trying to get help in their marriage because they had a whole lot of stuff wrong in their marriage. They just wanted their marriage to be better. But people in the world, they can't understand that. Why? Because when somebody goes to get help in their marriage, it's because their marriage is on the brink of divorce. How close have we ventured over to the world's way of thinking in this whole scheme of things, in the way we think about discipling, and the way we think about helping each other and being helped and getting input into our lives? How close have we moved toward the world and away from God's desire for us? You've got to answer that in your life. I can't answer that for you. Understand this. We usually end up where we don't want to go when we do exactly what we want to do. We usually end up where we don't want to go when we do exactly what we want to do. You know, read the rest of that story. Read the rest of that story. Go back and read 1 Kings 12. Go through it. And reading you'll see some crazy crazy things because Jeroboam goes to his buddies the yes men if you will and he gets input from the yes men and anybody can get input from someone you know is going to give you the input you want to hear and that's who he got the input from go back and read it but I want to move on from that I want us to turn to Ruth chapter 2 turn there turn your bibles on turn your open your bibles either way to that Ruth I think actually we're going to have yeah we're going to have it up on the screen here Ruth chapter 2 verse 8 Says then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that you are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. What a great example, right here, in my mind. As you read this, if you read it over and over again, this is really a great example of someone helping someone else out. When I think of discipling, that's what I think of. Someone else helping someone else out with the situation or things that they've got going on. And this someone, in this case, is Boaz. Being willing to step in and help someone else, Ruth, out with her life. And Ruth, in this situation, could have easily blown Boaz off and said, listen, Boaz, I've been in the field. I've been gleaning. I've got this covered. No big deal. But Boaz comes along And I know there's a lot to that story, but you got to understand, she could have said, I don't need to hear what you've got to say, but she didn't. And Boaz said, here's what I want you to do, Ruth. Here's what I'm challenging you to do. I love this because this is what discipling is. But here's the key to this because there's two parts of this conversation that I just want to point out real quick. Number one, you can't truly get, from words, a tone. But in a very real sense, you can get the tone that Boaz was probably using right here. His tone was such that it exuded compassion, and grace, and generosity. Quite honestly, these are three of the greatest ways to grow someone toward God, aren't they? When we're helping others, when we're loving on others, When we're challenging others, we're challenging them with compassion, with grace, with generosity. We don't come down on them. We love up on them. Now, there is a time. There is a time for that when it's a life or death situation. And we talk about that all the time. And I use this example. If my son, Trey, when he was three years old, if he was walking toward the street and an 18-wheeler was coming down the street and he was getting ready to walk in the street, would I say, hey, Trey, why don't you think about stopping before you walk in that street? I'm positive I wouldn't be saying that. I'd be like, "Dre, Stop! In hopes that he would get what I'm saying. Because at times we have those life or death situations, don't we? We've got to spur one another on. But most of the time, it's about this exuding generosity and grace and compassion toward others. Why? Because we're all in this together. These three intonations make the pill go down a lot easier, don't they? But then secondly, the very first line, he says, now listen, my daughter. And I know in the book, it makes a point of saying, well, it's trying to differentiate the age. And yeah, I think that's absolutely true, but I think it's even more than that. I think he's also trying to differentiate in this book that Boaz is making a strong commitment to Ruth. In the very same way that we make a strong commitment when we say Jesus is Lord and become a disciple to each other in this room, we're committed to each other to see each other grow. You know, when I see Jimmy Allen treating Lori in a bad way, I'm not going to blow it off. I'm not saying Jimmy did that today. Just hypothetically, if I saw that, Jimmy, okay? I'm just saying. If I saw that, I would want to pull Jimmy aside and in love, say, hey, you know, Jimmy, your wife's pretty amazing. First off, she's put up with you all these years. But 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 in all honesty, she loves you and to 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 talk to her that way. And my wife's over there thinking, boy, I wish someone would come talk to you, Alan. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, the power of words. Oh, the power of words that we have. And in verse 10 of this chapter, I love Ruth's response to this. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And then we jump over to verse 13. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. For a minute here, I want to take off my preacher cap and put on my worship leader cap, because this is really cool. When I was studying this out, I found something that I've never found before anywhere else in the Bible, and that's a word that deals with worship. In this word, you won't find anywhere in the Bible except for in Ruth. And the word is this word that's going to be up on the screen here in just a second, histahawah, Histahawa. histahawah is found nowhere else in the Bible. And what it means is when she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, it covers that whole thing right there. She worshiped him. She bowed down to him. Why? Because she was grateful for what he was doing. She was so overwhelmed with thankfulness. And in this word, that's exactly what it means to be overwhelmed and consumed with gratitude and thankfulness. And I'm not ever going to sit here and say when Todd disciples me that I should bow down before Todd and say, Oh, holy Todd, mighty Todd, your head is big and your power is mighty and all that good stuff. I'm not going to say that. And I'm not going to say the head is big part either. But what I am saying is that we should bow down and worship God for considering us worthy enough to even get the discipling. Do, Do you hear what that's saying right there? That this word is literally telling us to be willing to bow down to God, to be thankful for where God has put us and how God takes us from this spot right here. Why? Because God loves us just the way we are, but he refuses to leave us there. He wants to take us to a greater place. He wants to grow us toward him. And so when we get that help, when we get that input, when we get... Those things in our lives, when someone else steps in who doesn't have to step in, doesn't have to take their time to do it, and is willing to do it, we should be so thankful and so consumed with gratitude that we should be willing to do this right here, his to hawa, to bow down, to fall down on the ground on our faces and thank God with gratitude and to be consumed by it because we are counted worthy to be one of his children, one of his disciples. But I fear. That with age comes familiarity. And we become familiar with this stuff. And we've lost sight of what we really are. I'm not going to say in all cases, and I'm not going to make a blanket statement. But if this is you, and you go day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade, not getting input not getting help, not seeking it out, not giving input to others, not helping others out, not growing others toward God, then this is about you. I'm willing to bet that this is about most of us. Because I'm willing to bet it's about me just as much. Because there are times that I just don't want to hear the things I need to grow in. Can I get an amen to that? we don't like hearing what we've got to change. I literally, in my mind, think, okay, great. Man, three weeks of no mistakes. I'm cranking. I'm making all my calls when I need to. I'm doing all the stuff I need to. I've prepared my lessons. Life is good. My life is good. I'm loving life right now. And I'm thinking, oh, man, if I don't get disciple for another month, life is good. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm saying that in such a way as to say, Helping me to grow toward God. If I don't get that input in my life for another month, I'm feeling good about myself because I'm doing what I need to do. But then I have to realize wait a second. There's always something in my life that I can change. Always something in my life that I can change. In Ruth chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak. This is Naomi talking to Ruth and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until. He has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. It's not just Boaz she takes the input from. It's Naomi as well. She has a hesitant love here for Naomi. But just to be willing to hear what Naomi has to say. But not long ago, and this is something that I want us to grab here. Not long ago, Naomi had offered a release to both Ruth, Ruth and Orpah, didn't she? And it was really from any ties from her before they even got to Israel. And Ruth said, and, and Naomi said, listen, Ruth, Orpah, you guys go your way. I'm going to go my way. I'm fine with that. And both of them said, no, we're going to stay with you. And she pleaded with them, and she impressed upon them again. And they both said, no, we're going to stay with you, until finally Orpah said, you know what, I am going to go back Where I'm from. But Ruth kept going with her. Now I don't presume to know Orpah's character. And we don't see it in the Bible. But I will say this about what I can depict from what I see here. And this is probably a good realistic possibility of being true. But this right here is a great example for us to take here as well. Why? Because Orpah went back to what she knew. What was familiar to her. What was safe. And Ruth in her hesitant love, her faith led her to go out and above and beyond and to put herself out there. Orpah went to the safe place. Ruth went above and beyond. And I do believe that when we want to just be safe, kind of like I was talking about a minute ago, oh, I'm doing everything I need to do. When we want to just be safe and in that familiar place, we don't put ourselves out there. God doesn't grow us. He can't use that. But when we're willing to let our faith take us put ourselves out there like Ruth did. God can do amazing things with that. And we're going to do things that we need challenges on. We're going to do things that we need to grow in, and we're going to grow the way God desires for us to grow. The question is, do we put ourselves out there? Or do we just go day to day doing what we know, going back to what is familiar, what is safe? You know, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. False teachers were urging the people to move away from their Christian roots and accept all these different religious thoughts and ideas. And this is very similar to a lot of things that we deal with. But in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, I'm just going to close out with this here just for a few minutes. In verse 28, it says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works in me. You know that very first three words that we read there in verse 28. Him we proclaim. Honestly, that's it right there. For me, when I go back to that, I think that's the crux of why I'm a disciple, and why being a disciple means discipling, because him I proclaim, him I shout out about, but you know what's amazing is people don't really care about what you say until they see how you really live. It's not your talk that makes the difference, it's your walk. And when I'm proclaiming God, it's not me saying, I love the Lord, and if loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right, people are looking at me like, do you live the life, or do you just talk it? When I proclaim God, my proclamation comes from a man who's been a disciple for 21 years. And in that 21 years, when I first said, Jesus is Lord, way back when, and Steve Smith will attest to this, because he's known me longer than anybody in this room, I was not the same man then that I am now. And you would not want me to be the same man I was then that I am now. You wouldn't want that. Because in that 21 years that I've been a disciple, I've had people teach me. Admonish me, correct me, encourage me, love me toward God so that I can grow closer to God. So that I can be more in love with God. And if I just stayed there where I was when I said Jesus is Lord, that would be a travesty. We can't stay there. We've got to go here and here. And here, and in doing so, we've got to be willing to get the input in our lives, church. We've got to be willing to get the help in our lives that leads to us growing closer to God. Now, you've got to believe that there is somebody who knows how to get you from where you are to where God needs you to be. And you won't get there unless you're willing to listen And by listening, put it into action. And whatever rises up inside of you, whatever angst wells up inside of you when somebody challenges you or encourages you, whatever it is that inside of you says, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear what you have to say, whatever it is, you've got to understand that Satan is trying to do a thing in you, And take you away from that thing that's going to grow you, that's going to help you be a better father, be a stronger husband, be a more committed wife, be a better mother, be a better employee, or employer, or CEO, or whatever it is you do. That it's going to help you be who God needs you to be for him. And when we don't, It undermines God's wishes for us to be that. Because God speaks through his people, doesn't he? He uses people in this room to speak to us. So I want to wrap it up just here real quick. Two wrap-ups from this time together. Doing what you want to do won't get you where God wants you to be. Doing what you want to do won't get you where God wants you to be. And... Somebody knows what you need to do to get you where God wants you to be. Doing what you want to do won't get you where God wants you to be. But somebody knows what you need to do to get where God wants you to be. Somebody has perspective in your life. Somebody you know knows you well enough to know how to help you be a better parent. How to do better in treating your wife or treating your husband The way you go to work, the way you work, the things you do at work, or how you interact with others. Whether you are a Christian or whether you're not, these things are sound input. They're sound advice. Whether you ever gave your life to Christ, it's still great advice to let others help you. But, but, if you call yourself a disciple... Discipling has to be the key. Don't be a rehoboam. Don't be the king. Let your life worship the king. Let's take the Lord's Supper right now. Fathers, we pray to you as we praise your name. We thank you for this time to worship you and praise you. And God, I thank you so much for your grace your mercy but God more importantly I thank you even for putting people in my life to help me to be who you want me to be people not afraid to tell me the truth people not afraid to challenge me people not afraid to love me in ways that only your sons and daughters can And God, I pray that as a church, as a body, we will grow in this, continue to grow in it, get stronger in it, get better at it, get more committed in it. Be the men and women we need to be for you. God, I thank you for your son who was the master builder in all that we experience. And he designed this for us. Father, we love you. We pray this for this Lord's Supper right now. We take in such a way as to present ourselves worthy to you only because you presented your son to us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.